Music is the soundtrack of your life. It could be the works of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, the uplifting guitar of Coldplay, the rambunctious operas of Donizetti, the pop tones of Madonna, or indeed, you may have a penchant for the late 80s pop sensations, Millie Vanilli. <laughs> Who knows? But music invokes positive and negative emotions via autobiographical memories and is an ever-present part of life. And in this digital age, you can stream or download any music at any time, in any place. Indeed, as the pandemic has proved, you can even sit through a live concert on Zoom. So how has technology changed our relationship with music and why is it so important? Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological changes brought about by the pandemic and how technology can potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me today is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee. Now, in our opening there, you would have heard the wonderful sounds of Kai Kite. Kai is an innovative violinist, composer, and speaker who has inspired thousands to reach their own creative potential. He brings his message to conferences, companies, and organizations across the world. Now, with a diverse background, Kai holds an engineering degree from Stanford and, as a violinist, has performed in venues including the White House. Kai brilliantly uses music as a metaphor to empower people at many of the world's leading organizations, from the Walt Disney Company to the Seattle Seahawks of the NFL. And I'm pleased to say he's with us today. Oh, and as a spoiler alert, there will be music in this episode. So I'd like to welcome to the great indoors today, Mr. Kai Kite. Kai, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. Great, great. And um, as the obligatory question, I ask all my guests, where are you enjoying the great indoors from today? (laughs) I actually just moved to a new place in Los Angeles. So I'm in a part of LA called the Arts District near downtown. And um, I'm just settling into my my new home. And uh, it's nice. Yeah, all all of COVID I was living in the mountains in this little cabin, just kind of in a creative, creative mindset. So now I'm kind of coming back to society the past few weeks. So that's back what I'm to calling the city. From. Back to the yeah. city. Excellent. And apart from moving uh, from the sort of countryside back into the city, what, what have you done since you've been back that you haven't been able to do for a while and has given you some, uh, some joy, some sense of uh, normality? Um. Yeah, it sounds so simple. I'm sure it is for most people, but just seeing people on a regular basis and having that proximity again and just having casual conversations, just going out to coffee, tea shops, just these these little things that I almost forgot how to do. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been really nice to be around a lot of people again and have those casual conversations, something that doesn't have to be planned as much or worried about as much. Um, Mm -hmm. It feels really special. Awesome. Excellent. So for our listeners, Kai, tell us a bit about yourself and, and how you got to where you are today, of course, being a composer and a, a keynote speaker. What was your journey to get to there? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, I'm a violinist and a composer. I, mean, I started playing the violin when I was just like three years old. And so since I was a little kid, the violin has always been um, this place where I just always felt good. Like even as a kid and going through like teenage years, the violin music was always this place that I would go to that 
was almost this retreat. It was this place that I always felt okay with. And so it was always a part of my life. And then um, my background is when it was time to go to college, I didn't study music in school. Um, I went to Stanford and I was in the engineering school there uh, under the design program. And it was cool because I was taking all these classes and having all these experiences where my, my teachers, my professors were people like David Kelly from IDEO, people like that. And uh, the author, Tina Selig, another mentor and uh, teacher of mine. And so they were using this design process as a way to share ideas that anyone from any walk of life could use uh, in their business and their personal life. And so for me, I saw that and I was really inspired by it. And I just felt that there was a way to do something similar with music. And so with music, I mean, the music industry has changed so much. And for me, I knew I wanted to do something with music, but I knew there was something else that I had to offer. And so then I started, uh, well, I was asked to perform and kind of say a few words <laughs> after I was uh, done performing. And it was funny, the first few times I was asked to do that, I actually like went on stage and I like brought my instrument to play. Then I played a little bit and then I was supposed to um, give a speech afterwards, but I was like too nervous to actually speak. So I just put my violin down and walked off stage. Uh, but once I started doing that, I realized that there was actually something about the musical process that was connecting with people, that there's this kind of, um, I guess people call it the fourth wall in art, but this separation between, you know, this musician, this performer on stage and people in the audience. And I just found that there was a cool way to share stories and metaphors from the musical process that people could use. And so for the past about seven, eight years or so, I've been traveling the world doing that, uh, performing and then sharing insights from the musical process that people can use in their businesses, their industry, um, even on a, a personal level. So that's kind of what I'm inspired to do, to use music for that, uh, for that cause. That's amazing. It's really amazing. And, and who's typically the audience for your music, Kai? It, it ranges. So uh, a lot of times it's professional audiences. So it could be um, people who work in healthcare. It could be um, social workers from across the country. It could be a company based out of Amsterdam. It could be a professional sports team. It could be students. Um, and so it's generally people that are looking for a different way to approach things. And they're looking to, um, you know, a lot of times, I'm sure you've had the experience, you go to an event or a conference or something like that. And there might be speaker after speaker and this kind of all these analytical components and it's just like training after session. And so a lot of people reach out because they want something to kind of break that uh, use of only one side of our brain and music allows that emotional side to come up. When we play music, um, it's kind of like a good story because it, it makes our mind curious, right? Because we're waiting for that next part to come back again. And so it's this way of presenting unique ideas in a way that will actually wake people up and get them uh, interested and curious. So that's what music can do. No, and I, I've seen some of your um, uh, talks online, Kai, and, and it's amazing. So you you take not just the musical creation process, but the, the musical playing process and being engaged with music, and then you apply that to your sort of everyday thought process or metaphors in life. Can you give us an example of, of one of those because I think they're I think they're really amazing and uh, eye opening. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, for me, when I when I think of my work, it's it's not just the uh, the musical process. It's not just you know what we create, 
but I'm more concerned with who we are while we're creating, who we are while we're working, who we are while we're trying to do something good. So I, I like to study the kind of social anxieties around the musical performance process. So one of those tension points might be this idea of the conductor, right? So you have the conductor on stage and they are, you know, the predetermined leader of the group and a metaphor for the conductor in, in, in life might be the boss, might be the parent, might be the manager, right? And so we, maybe we want to see ourselves as that kind of leader uh, in, 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 that, in that role. Um, and so I like to really break down, what does it mean to be a conductor? Okay, well, the first thing is like, I just noticed things. Well, the conductor is the most powerful person on stage, but they don't actually make a sound. And that's because what gives them that power is their ability to actually hear and listen. And so I can break down through stories how the conductor actually goes about listening. And one of those things for the conductor is that when you're in a rehearsal and the conductor hears something that's a little bit off, when they hear something that doesn't um, sound in line with the vision that they have, something that sounds imperfect, like that's when they that's when they practice the most curiosity. That's when they go back to the performer and ask them to play again, right? Because to to be the conductor is to have that curiosity of those moments when the music actually sounds the worst. And so there's so many. I, I, I use these metaphors of like the the conductor, the composer. Um, what does it mean to actually embody those roles? And I try to offer a, a different way of viewing them so that we can return to whatever our work, our craft, our, our personal life uh, with a different review and, and when we talk about your history what would you say is your relationship to music and was music an inspiration for you very very early on when was it sort of all come together for you this this way of thinking and applying that musical process to different form different parts of life yeah so uh i'd say music was always something something i wanted to do and then uh when i was like 13 or 14 it became something I was obsessed with. And around that time, I actually had a teacher that um, he was amazing in the sense that it was like 10% music, but 90% life. So what would happen is we would, I'd go into the lesson and I'd start playing some, you know, Brahms concerto or something like that. And then he just stopped me five minutes in and then just say that passage right there. Like he would say, oh, you're really indecisive. What are you doing there? You have to make a decision. And then he would go into this kind of monologue about how uh, it's not about making the right or wrong decision, but it's about making a decision and trusting it and then learning from it afterwards. And so for me, like that from the ages of 13 to 18, like that's how I learned music. It was never just about music. Music was this pathway always for us to learn how to deal with life and handle life with skill. And so that's just, I I think that was just ingrained in me so early that it was kind of, when I make these connections now, um, it's kind of instinctual just because he, his way of thinking was so infectious and he was so passionate about it. Let's talk about the pandemic for a second and, and, um, and music during the pandemic. And you said at the beginning, you know the musical world has changed and continues to change and in in our world when we when we look at the digitalization of music and music streaming music is much more readily available now if i wanted to um look up any any music now i would go to my youtube music and boom there it is i can stream it in 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 real time i don't have to like when i was at school go to the record shop 
and flick through loads of vinyl to find something that might potentially be interesting. So music is fully available. You can put the entire music of mankind in your mobile device and take it anywhere with you. But during the lockdown, and I've done a bit of research here, which is which is normal and it's, it's quite amusing, there was a, a higher rate of consumption of music than ever before. So in, in the United Kingdom, for example, they saw music streamed and downloaded increase by 10% last year, which I thought was amazing. And in Germany, they did a research, uh, the, uh, there was a, a, a research um, um, executed uh, where they found that um, people were listening to music to cope with their emotional and social stress. And I'm going to talk, tell you that they've even pulled out some of the songs that people were listening to, which surprised me. But based <laughs> on, but, I'm curious. Uh, they're, yeah, they're quite funny. But based on that, how has your relationship with music altered during the pandemic from a creative process and also from a consumption process or perspective? Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, from both sides of that. So, yeah, from the creation process... Um, right last March, I had this, I mean, the, the same feeling I imagine everyone had, or most people where it's like, I just had one day where like all of the events and all the performances I had booked all just canceled and just like this confusion, like what was happening. And for me, it was almost automatic that in a way that I hadn't done before, I just consumed myself in music. And I think that's something I would do as a child also, like when, I was feeling angsty about something when I was like 14 or something with my parents or something at school. It's like, I would go to music and I like, it felt, I felt like I was embodying that 13, 14 year old part of myself where it wasn't like, Oh, I need to perform this for that. I need to go this for that. It was like, I need to do this so that I feel okay. You know? And so I just kind of threw myself into that and I, yeah, I just started composing and writing because for me, um music is this place like i don't like to use the word escape really but it was it's like this it's a it's almost yeah therapeutic it's a sense of flow right Mm -hmm. and it's the sense of problem solving and the sense of um yeah i like to think of you know a lot of times we, we think of imagination as something that's just kind of like playful and light but if you think about it like as a composer you're you're literally you're thinking about things that aren't present right and it's, it's almost like delusional in a sense. And, and it can be beautiful sometimes, but it is. It's kind of like delusional. And so for me to be in that space in another world was just what I needed. It was just the, it was like that refuge for me. Um, and so that led me to um, compose a project um, that I wrote and performed and recorded over quarantine. And yeah, I think, I think my relationship with music uh, changed from being because I've been performing pretty consistently for the past seven or eight years, and so actually more than that, and so just a time where I had no goal, <laughs> but I just it was coming from an authentic place. I think that was really refreshing. And then um, in terms of how I actually listen to music, it's funny. I don't, I don't think I listened to much music during the pandemic. Like I couldn't. If you look at my Spotify, there's not really much going on and i think i listened to some violinists when i wanted some inspiration but i was really um i don't know if it was intentional or not 
but I was in, I was in silence a lot of the time if I wasn't playing my own music. Um, and I think in some odd way, I think that actually brought me a lot of peace, uh, just being in that silence a bit. You said that kind of, that music is your, your refuge. It's therapeutic. It's where you, you kind of automatically went to as we went into lockdown. Um, but how has technology potentially played a part in continuing to improve or hone your craft during the, the pandemic? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think it was, it was interesting because, I mean, a lot of us experienced this. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of Zoom and things like that. And it, it was interesting because at the beginning, um, the technology, um, I felt it, it was, it was causing me to feel like a lot of um, almost like anxiety and like uh, and, and envy also. Because like in the beginning, like I was seeing other people do all these performances like right away. And then I was just kind of like in this little cabin by myself, right? Like, what am I doing? Like, what do I need to create? What do I need to? And so that was something for me to kind of dissect and explore. And so then that kind of led me to shy away from it a bit. And I just kind of went into my own world and composed. But I would say one of the biggest things that helped me out was just honestly reconnecting with a teacher that I had worked with years ago. And she's someone that knows me deeply personal, deeply on a personal level. And uh, almost every week she would help me kind of craft this music that I was writing to a, a deeper level, a more honest level, um, because it's probably the most time I've ever spent on a musical project. And so mm -hmm. just to be able to have that kind of um, wisdom coming in at such a consistent pace was probably uh, the most beneficial way that technology helped me. And did you find, right, and this is something I noticed um, just listening to music as I do, because there was a lot of artists out there that put out albums and put out music and attributed them directly to their experiences during, you know, the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and they were quite introspective, quite melancholic. It, instantly, Taylor Swift comes to mind with the yeah. folklore album that she said she wrote um, uh, and recorded completely in lockdown, and it was very different. I, I think it got rave reviews and won Grammys, but it was very different. And also, uh, a, another album I've been listening to the, the the latest Killers one, which is really like low tempo, introspective. Like I said, very thoughtful. So, did your mood? How did your mood affect the music you were composing or the fact that you were deprived of human contact and you were in your own world? Did, did it alter? Yeah. Did it, for the, for the better? Did you think you produced some even great I think pieces? so. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So the project that I wrote, it's called Dialogues. And the reason why it's called that is because the process for creating this music was, you asked about technology, well, also Part of that technology is like talking to therapists during it because I realized this music that I was writing, each piece, there's seven pieces and each piece kind of represented a conversation, a dialogue that, that I wish I had had in real life that I hadn't. And so it was almost like this expression of all of these more raw and visceral emotions that I actually hadn't had the time to sit with <laughs> in like just typical life before. And so this was just, be sitting with all that 
and then this music kind of came out. So the, the music is very, um, if you were to listen to it and then like listen to me talk, it's very different. Like the music is very erratic. It's very raw, right? And I tend to be more like um, just just uh, like reserved when, I, when I'm talking. And so it's almost like this uh, raw and like kind of, kind of primitive side of myself that I wasn't examining that just came out. And so, um, yeah, I think I, it, it was the opportunity to really look at kind of more darker or moodier sides that I typically don't express. And uh, yeah, that's what came out. <laughs> I'll go back to that German um, research uh, study I found um, before where it listed out the top songs that people were listening to during the pandemic, right? And I, I, I looked at these and I was like, really? But I, I'll read them out and this may surprise you, Kai. So according to their findings, Queen's Don't Stop Me Now was the undisputed number one on the Mood Lifter pandemic charts. Believe it or not, right? <laughs> Followed by hits including Abba's Dancing Queen, <laughs> the Beach Boys' Good Vibrations, Billy Joel's Uptown Girl, and Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Wanna Have Fun, right? I don't know about you. I didn't listen to any of them during Yeah, lockdown. they didn't come to mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds like uh, like the, the playlist at some horrific 80s family wedding. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know how, I, I just don't know how, how they came up with that. Because like I said, the, the music to me seemed that people were listening to. And another study found, um, another study by one poll of 2,000 people found that music is the number one way that people have coped in stressful situations. And over 80% of them surveyed said music has helped them get through the pandemic-induced quarantine. While the other six, well, another 64% said watching virtual music performances helped them feel connected to others. Mm. Now, I thought that was really interesting and that was really you know spot on um you know uh, as far as what people were doing um but coming back to um coming back to 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 to, to you kai how can we apply the compose your world methodology or, or method that you talk about during the pandemic and, and explain this methodology if you could to our listeners yeah um so i mean my ideas are always evolving and changing but i think um so with what you're referring to it's this idea of how do we go about thinking about and reimagining what our lives or what our work what we want to look like and as a composer um there are really three segments that we go through uh three phases that we experience um and they're phases I experienced writing this project that I'm talking about. And so that first phase is the, uh, the imagination, right? The initial composition. So thinking of ideas that aren't necessarily present. Uh, and when we talk about creativity, that's usually what we talk about. We talk about coming with new ideas that aren't there. We talk about having a spark or something like that to reinvigorate our lives. And that's the first step. That's important. Uh, but it's just the first step. And I think this, the other two are the ones that actually in a lot of ways can take uh, a lot more uh, emotional <laughs> effort 
And the second one is after we imagine, it's to revise, right? So the composer has the ability to let go of the notes that they uh, once deeply believed in. And so something that was difficult with the pandemic, right, is that it felt like we were taking um, one step forward and then like two steps backward, right, with all the information that's changing around us. So it feels like we're working towards plans and then we kind of get swung around. We don't know where we are. And so for me, I know when that happens, um, I'll experience a lot of kind of regret of like not making the right choices or not seeing something coming. And something that's interesting about the composer, if we look at, um, you know, what's the, what's the end product of the composer, right? So when a performer takes a stage, their end product is a piece of music that everyone can hear, right? Or if a conductor takes a stage, their end product is the, the performance, the sounds of the people in front of them. Um, but for a composer, their end product uh, is simply the recognition of the notes that should no longer be a part of their path, right? Their, their end product is the ability to set a vision, uh, clear understanding that others can follow. And so something that's really helped me throughout this uh, pandemic is to kind of see myself as the composer in life of that sense. So when we have something coming, information coming that we need to change for, or we need to adapt for, it's realizing that this wisdom, really this new information that we're getting in our ability to act on that. That's what makes us a composer. And uh, so after we revise, the, the last step of the composer is to actually transcribe the music. And so this is probably the most important for people that have big ideas, uh, but get in situations where those other people around them fail to act on them. So maybe you have a big idea at work, but people around you um, don't really understand it, or you want to, you want your kids to do something different, but they're not acting in line with that. And so what makes a composer, you know, you can have the biggest uh, vision, you can have all the melodies in your mind, but it really means nothing until you put those notes into a language that the performers can understand until you study their instrument and really see the context in front of them and how it makes sense. And so it's these three steps, the imagination, uh, but also the ability to revise and then look at our, look at our idea and to realize that not everyone's going to understand this unless we apply some effort ourselves to help them understand. And that's a, uh, now in today's world with so much information, right? So many important causes. I think it's uh, that ability to transcribe for others can be uh, under uh, celebrated at some points. Wow. Wow. That's really, really interesting. Really interesting. And so let's, let's move gears now into something that I touched on just before and, and, and you touched about it, uh, touched on it as well, Kai. And that the, one of the things that we've discussed on this podcast um, almost every ep episode is the separate pandemic affecting people's mental health mm -hmm. and, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the problems that people were, were facing with, with lockdown. Now, and I talked about some statistics I got there on, on people returning to music as, as, as being something to help them cope personally. And, and you talk about music being a refuge for you as well. But has it helped you cope personally during the pandemic? Not not just, you know, you, you said that you've always thrown yourself into music throughout your throughout your life. But did you did you notice it more as being more therapeutic and more helpful during the past eight, 18 months? 
Yeah, honestly, it was one of the most important things for me for my own mental health, my own sense of confidence. So, yeah, I mean, something with my mental health, like I was, I think it was 20, in 2015, I was diagnosed with bipolar one disorder. And so bipolar one, if you're unfamiliar, um, is, it means that I will have a tendency to go into mania. So mania is like you have sped up thoughts and heightened creativity. And so a lot of people, there's actually a book when I was diagnosed, there's a book about how uh, America has a heightened level of people with bipolar one, because those are the people that were like out of their minds enough to get in a boat and come across the, to the United <laughs> States. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so for me, when that happened, I honestly, I, I started to associate my creativity, my out of the box ideas with like being crazy, right? Um, I started to associate my me staying up all night to compose as like me just doing something wrong. And so that was for me, when it comes to mental health, like it was almost like a reclaiming of my creativity of like a lot of times for the past few years, like I haven't really dove deep into a creative project in that kind of way because I was scared that I was going to go too far and like go to some other place. Um, and so I ended up going to that place and it was really beautiful and I created something that I'm very proud of. And so for me, um, I think it was allowing myself to just express fully and trust in that. And so it's, for me, yeah, it was, it was an, in a therapeutic, uh, not just in what the music itself meant, but in what it meant for me to just commit myself to something in a way that I hadn't done for about five or six years. And so that was really important for me. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Ken. And have you, have you seen, People turn to me. I mean, you talk about their, your creative process, and have you seen people or have you advised people to turn to music if they're struggling, if they're feeling down, if they're having issues? Uh, is it? Is it? I, I'm thinking it almost prescriptive. Hey, listen, maybe you should just chill, that, sit down, listen to this, um, and it'll it'll make you feel a lot better. Have you got experience of that? Of just yeah. So I, it's funny because. My friends, are, like my, my music itself is kind of moody and a little dark, right? And then that's what I typically listen to also. And so one of my friends was making fun of me last year. He was like, yeah, you just listen to like depressing music. And I was like, that's what I like. And so he was, he told me to do this thing. Just like, he just sent me some playlists, some like really calming, like upbeat jazz playlists. And I would just play it in my house, just against my will, kind of just see what happened. And for me, it was just almost automatic, right? Like I, I, I felt more relaxed. I started, I couldn't, it wasn't even a conscious choice. Like I had to start lighting candles in my place. Like it was just, I had to do all these things. And so for me, um, always try to remember that, that music. Sometimes I, I can only think of, cause I'm so ingrained in it. I can, I'm only thinking in terms of what I'm creating and like, I'm the creator of this music, but music can be this tool to just shift your psychology. So even, um, I, I often use music as a tool to, help me calm my thoughts right so if i have music that has uh, if i'm trying to create something if i'm trying to be productive generative in some way i don't listen to music with uh with lyrics in it um i try to keep it instrumentals and in just so that my like my language part of my brain can work without any kind of conflict but if i'm trying to relax and i'm trying to kind of turn the brain down for the evening i always will listen to um, or I try to listen to music with lyrics, songs, something that I can actually hear and understand so that my brain, uh, the language part of my brain is kind of uh, taken over a bit. And so I, I found that something that's 
really helpful in terms of how I plan my day, actually, and music uh, can play a really instrumental role in that. And you could probably see me looking at my phone there, and I'll tell you why I was, because you sparked something in, in, in my thinking. And it's something I speak about regularly on, on this podcast is mindfulness, um, meditation, and being able to unplug and things from, from technology. And we've seen, a, we've seen a lot of people, myself included, take on the, these sort of um, practices uh, during, you know, during lockdown. But on that particular app that I use, which is Calm, I don't know if you're aware of it, but they offer up playlists, um, you know, to help your mindfulness, to help you settle down. It's not just meditation and like whale sounds, right? There's actual playlists in there, which are really easy, uh, really interesting. And one of the bands that seem to feature there heavily, and I, I'm a fan of, is an Icelandic band called Sigur Ross. I don't know if you've heard oh, of yeah, these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're so great. They, they're really, um, I think they're, they're different, but they're, they're certainly there's something very calming um, and, uh, like we said before, therapeutic about them. But I just thought it was interesting that this particular app, which is really, uh, really popular now and downloaded millions of times, offers up playlists for exactly what we were just talking about to... Uh, uh, to to do those, so I think that's really that's really interesting. Um, and what what would you say, Kai, is is the biggest source of inspiration for your music? Because obviously you, you're a violinist. But what what have, what is your? I talked about Sigur Rós, and I've I've been a big fan of that sort of genre of music for a while. What's been your biggest particular inspiration musically? Mm. And does um, it change? Does it change in terms of like what I create? What you consume as well. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of how I structure music, um, I think of it more like a movie than a piece of music. So, um, I like to study films a lot and film structure, film scores also, but mainly in. Uh, in film, any I mean, any good story, really, there are different characters, right? And those characters develop and they're introduced in certain moments and there's a pattern to it. Um, and so I think my big, biggest inspiration is looking at how, like, feeling those those moments. You know, in a movie where there's like a climax and everything kind of comes together at this one point where it, everything feels, it's all in question, all in the moment there. Everything, all the stakes are there. I love experiencing that. And so I try to create similar moments in my music. So if you would listen to any piece, you'll hear like an idea brought up first in the beginning, it will be subtle. And then another texture will be added and then it'll come back maybe subtle again. And then the fourth time it'll have this big, almost, almost climax feeling. Um, so I try to do that. Yeah. I always try to have a, uh, an outside lens to what I'm doing. So for example, for my speaking also, when I'm on stage, um, I don't necessarily study speakers as much, but I really enjoy studying stand-up comedians. Uh, and it's super, there's so much to learn from them because it's like the most high stakes uh, thing, right? Like you're going on stage and people are expecting 
you to make them laugh, right? It's so specific. And just their economy of words. And if you think about comedy, a lot of times it can be silly or goofy, but they're trying to find truth, right? They're, um, when you laugh, it's kind of against your will, right? Because there's a truth behind it. And so I, I learned so much from how I structure my work there. Um, in terms of kind of musicians that have affected me. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that group. Uh, there's a, a guy who's a pianist, very similar tone. Um, his name's Niels Fromm, and right. uh, have you have you heard of his music before? Yeah, I've heard. I, I know the name. I'd have to listen to something to to remind me. But yeah, I've definitely yeah. heard the name. So it's I saw him perform right before the uh, pandemic, and it was one of those. And he also released an album at the beginning that was really monumental for me, where um, it's his ability to create this. Um, emotion and this feeling where like if you listen to it there's so much going on but it can also be in the background right so like you can also have a conversation around it and it'll affect your mood or you can make it this like active thing you're really listening to and i think that's a cool effect to make on people because it's this ultimate like hybrid experience that you can you can have um and then other than that i'm obsessed with so many different violinists um uh people like hillary hahn um just I, yeah, I, I always study different violinists to get inspiration on technique and things like that. Wow, excellent! And and what are you producing now, Kai? What's next for you? What what can our listeners look out for from yeah, you? Yeah, so you can you can check out my um, the project I created that I'm talking about <laughs> on yeah. Spotify and Apple Music. It's called uh, Dialogues. And, Dialogues. Yeah, Dialogues, and they're seven pieces, and it's seven different conversations but in musical form and uh i've recorded them all in that little cabin that i was staying in <laughs> all right cool cool well we'll check that out we'll put a link to it on our web page as well and, and when are you getting out there when are you doing your first face-to-face -face event we uh, i was out in denver a couple of weeks ago uh for my first face-to-face -face thing in like uh you know nearly two years and it it blew my mind it was it was it was amazing. It was so cool to see people, chat to people, but you know, I, I, you know, it it really was. Um, I don't know what the word is. It didn't feel like going back to before. It felt better. You know, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. So when are you getting back up on stage? When are you physically getting back out there? Yeah. So I've been doing that. I've technically kind of gotten back out there since August. Um, I had a number of events. Um, in person and it's 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 interesting yeah the way you phrase it, it's not like going back it's different and uh yeah it, it's funny the, the the contrast though of being by myself for like 18 months and then like now i'm just in front of maybe like a thousand people <laughs> it's like a, uh there's like this this uh relearning process of just how to like take in all that social information at once um but yeah I, i'm starting to do that again and i i did that um I find that it's people just want to be there so bad and people want to share things together and people want to laugh together. And it's like when we do something like this or you do a virtual event or something, it's um, in an odd way, it, it's even more personal when we do this, right? Because you're just in your home and whoever the listeners, you're just in your own space. But that feeling of just like connectivity of kind of 
laughing because you think it's funny, but also because everyone else is. It just it can it can consume you, and it's really beautiful to be a part of again. So that's been yeah. uh, really great since August. And and you know, in uh, October, I think I'll, I'll make this as kind of a profound announcement. You, we're going to be in LA. The Great Indoors is coming to LA in October. Um, at the end of October for MWC LA, we're, we're taking the podcast on the road. So maybe we'll see you there, Kai. Maybe you can swing over to our podcast booth. It's the first time we've done anything like this. But yeah, that's really getting back out. We're taking the great indoors on the road. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. And one of the things I like to ask um, our guests as we, you know, we talk about travel and and you've been like you said, out in a cabin, you've come back to the city, but where do you really want to travel to? Where would you really like to go now if you could? <laughs> or, or let me, if you could go to a concert, any yeah. concert anywhere in the world, um, an opera in Vienna, or where would it be? I want to just be in any kind of city. So I, I, want, to, I'm, I want to plan a trip to New York in October. Uh, I want to go back to Amsterdam for a bit. I, want, I like to spend a lot of time in London. I just, I just want to be in any kind of city environment as much as possible. So, um, yeah, I'll say going to a concert hall in Amsterdam. I'll, I'll say that. Um, nice. But just any kind of city environment, I'm just loving right now. So, yeah, you got me thinking. Amsterdam is such a great city. Um, that that would be that that would be at the top of my list as well. Now, look, we're coming towards the end of things now kai and we've never asked a guest to do this before but maybe if you don't mind you could take us home with maybe a, a small piece of of, of your music if you don't yeah. mind. Right. here we go okay this is a little excerpt from Project Dialogues. That was uh, that was beautiful. That was amazing. That that sounded incredible. Even even over the the video conferencing software, that <laughs> came across absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much. Uh, really incredible. Thank you very much, Kai. That really 
That's made my day. That's really, really incredible. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I appreciate that. What an incredible finish. That was so powerful. What a brilliant episode. You know, please check out Kai's music on uh, on Spotify, YouTube music, or, or wherever you get your music, particularly his latest project, Dialogues. It really is very special. So please subscribe to our podcast and all the usual podcast channels. Leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. And check out two other Amdocs podcasts that are brilliant and available now. The Future of Tech with Abishai Charlin and Points of View with our CMO, Gil Rosen. Also visit our new and improved website, amdocs.com forward slash The Great Indoors, where we have a library of really great assets related to the series. Now, as I mentioned before, we're going to be on the road in LA in October to check out our webpage for more information, because not only would we love to see you, we'd love to invite you to be a guest on this special show. And we'll be back in two weeks for another edition of The Great Indoors. I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in Toronto. Have a great day wherever you are.